Today's Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 13 and can be found on pages 548 to 549 of the Church Bibles. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Today's New Testament reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 27, and can be found on page 1135 of the Church Bible. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer as we prepare for the preaching of God's word. God, our Heavenly Father, source of all light, by your word and spirit, give light to our lives. Amen. This morning's passage from Romans 8 is all about groaning. I don't know if you heard that word groaning in that passage. It's all about groaning. So let's for a moment reflect on what groaning is all about. Here's a definition I found for groaning. Groaning is to make a deep, inarticulate sound in response to pain or despair. Let me read that again. Groaning is to make a deep, inarticulate sound in response to pain 
or despair. So notice from that definition, the sound you make when you groan is an inarticulate one. It means your lips and your tongue don't form words when you groan. It's just something like this. Oh. So, when might we groan? Well, here's some situations that we might groan in. We might groan, for example, after purchasing a very fine piece of meat from the butcher, but then we make it a burnt offering on the barbecue grill. <laughs> oh, right? There goes 60 uh, francs up in flames. Or we might groan when we're in a hurry to get somewhere, but our train is late. Or when we're in a hurry to get somewhere, and there's tons of traffic, right? We get there on the motorway and we say, ugh, traffic. Or we might also groan when after taking an exam, we find out that our grade is not quite what we had hoped for. We get the test back, or uh, online actually these days, and we groan, ugh, all that work. And that's all I've got to show for it. But of course, we might groan in response to more serious things as well, right? Uh, who of us over these past few weeks hasn't groaned with distress and dismay as we've seen pictures of murder and mayhem, death and destruction in the Middle East? And who of us doesn't continually groan with sadness and despair as we seemingly every week see pictures of refugees on or in the Mediterranean? desperately trying to reach the shores of Europe. Yes, life on planet Earth can give us plenty of opportunities to groan. So it's not surprising, I guess, that the Apostle Paul talks about groaning then in Romans 8. Paul, after all, is pretty interested in human beings and, and how human beings relate to the world. For the Apostle Paul, though, I should say, groaning is not just an emotional or psychological response to the state of the world. No, for the Apostle Paul, groaning is a theological response to the state of the world. For Paul, groaning has something to do with his understanding of God, who he is, and how he acts, and what he created, and how it should be. For, for Paul, groaning is a weighty theological phenomenon. And so it's no wonder that he gives it his full attention here in Romans 8. Before we get into it, though, let me just orient ourselves a bit. Romans 8, 1 through 4 is what we discussed last week. The, the no and no condemnation, you might remember. This week, we're going to start our discussion of Romans 8 at verse 18, skipping over verses 5 through 17. And the reason we're skipping over those verses is because I have preached earlier this year on those verses, so we won't repeat that now. Instead, we're going to move to verses 18 through 27 this morning, where we'll encounter Paul's treatment of the subject of groaning. So what we're going to look at this morning as we look at this passage in Scripture in Romans 8 is first the who the who of groaning. Who's doing the groaning? And then we'll look at the why of groaning, why it's happening. And then finally, thirdly, we'll look at the how of groaning. 
how we as God's people should be letting out these inarticulate expressions of pain and despair. So the who, the why, and the how of groaning from Romans 8. Ready? Let's go. Okay, so first it's the who. Who in Romans 8 is Paul, say, is Paul saying is doing this groaning? Well, actually, actually, if we look at the passage, we could look closely, there are actually two who's, and the first who is not so much of a who, but rather a what. Got it? <laughs> All right, let me explain. Let me just read the first who right here. Romans 8.22, I'm looking at now, if you have the passage before you. Romans 8.22, we're looking at, again for the who of the groaning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Okay, so maybe you now understand why I said it's not so much of a who is groaning, but a what is groaning. The what is the creation, right? The first who Paul talks about in this exercise or this treatise on groaning is the creation, this, this world that was brought into existence. Paul personifies the creation here, making this what into a who by giving it the ability to groan and describing its groaning. He treats the world, Paul treats the world here as if it were a person making this inarticulate sound we call a groan. The whole creation, we are told, has been groaning as if in childbirth. And let me tell you from experience, that's some groaning. Well, not direct experience. Well, kind of direct, but you know what I mean, right? That's really some groaning going on here. That's not a light groan. That's heavy, heavy groaning. But it's not only the creation who's been groaning, we read. In the very next verse, we read this. Not only so, Paul says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly. So God's people too, those who have been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we groan as well. Inwardly, Paul says. In other words, within ourselves. Regardless though, whether our groans are inward or outward, audible or inaudible, they all express very much the same thing. Which brings us now to the why. The why of the groaning of Romans 8. So both the creation and God's people are groaning. Why all this groaning? Well, we in the creation are groaning for very much the same reason. And the reason is this. Life on planet Earth is not as it should be. Life on planet Earth is not as it should be. And it's frustrating. It's difficult. It's unpleasant. It's painful. In verse 20, Paul talks about the creation being subjected to frustration. For the creation, he says, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And then in verse 21, a little bit later, he says, it's in bondage, the creation is. Decay to decay. He says this, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We'll talk about that last part a little bit later. So the picture here of creation, let's deal with that first. The picture here of creation is that figuratively speaking at least, 
It groans. And the reason it's groaning is because of the fallout from the fall. The creation, which was in the Garden of Eden, harmonious and peaceful and fertile and abundant and full of life and totally absent of death. This creation now is not quite what it used to be, is it? After the fall. In the natural world, there's now scarcity. We think of drought, for example. In the natural world, there's now violence. Think about tornadoes or cyclones. Uh, There's now destruction in the natural world. Think about forest fires, like in Greece, for example. And of course, there's death, plenty of death in the natural world. And yes, as Paul suggests, the creation finds itself bondage to decay. In other words, it's enslaved to death and destruction. It's held captive by deterioration and devastation. And so no wonder the creation groans. The creation, if you will, knows what it had before in Eden. And it knows only too well what it lives with now. The creation finds itself in a state so far removed from what it was and what it should be. It can't help but emit such an inarticulate expression of pain and despair. It can't help but groan. Okay, so that's the why of creation's groaning. Now the why of the groaning of God's people. And for this, we go back to Romans 8, where we read this. I'm at verse 23 now. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So part of this we read before, the part of our groaning inwardly. But now in what follows, Paul goes on to indicate what's causing all this inward groaning of God's people. He says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Something which, he says, will include the redemption of our bodies, the restoration of our bodies, you might say. So what's that all about? It's not language that's all that easy to understand, at least not for me. So what what does Paul mean here when he talks about this redemption of our bodies and adoption to sonship? Well, this adoption is son's language. This has to do with our eternal inheritance as God's children. As adopted sons, and this includes, of course, men and women, the reason Paul uses the word sons here is because in the ancient world, only the sons had the right to inheritance. Daughters did not. So as adopted sons, as as children of God, we all, male, female, we are set to receive an inheritance eternal inheritance and this eternal inheritance is life forever with our Lord and so we groan as we eagerly await the completion of this adoption process and the receipt of our eternal inheritance the completion of these things is something that will be marked by the resurrection of our bodies and the restoration of the whole of our existences And when this happens, well, then we will know how life was supposed to be as God created it to be. And this will only be the case fully when Christ comes again. 
So when this occurs, when Christ comes again, when the restoration is complete, when we are totally and completely adapted and enjoying the inheritance, then and only then will we be totally free from the suffering that Paul describes in this passage. But in the meantime, the suffering, the suffering that we experience in our bodies and in the whole of our lives, it's going to cause us to groan. This because, again, what we are experiencing is not the way it was supposed to be. Like the natural world, we humans were not created to experience scarcity and violence. We weren't created to experience destruction and death. We were created to enjoy peace and harmony. We were created to enjoy prosperity and abundance. We were created to enjoy health and wholeness. But for us, just as it was for the, ancient, for the creation, there was this thing called the fall. Maybe you've heard of it. And this fall was very much our fall, right? We humans, after all, we caused it. And since then, since the fall, since our fall, we've been experiencing life on planet Earth not as it was created to be, but as it tragically came to be. When evil was allowed to spoil and corrupt, twist and taint, wreck and destroy, harm and kill. And so when confronted with the frustration and pain that comes from all this, from all this fallout from the fall, we, like the creation, well, we respond the exact same way. We groan, don't we? We groan. We groan, for example, as we experience the death of a spouse or the death of a child, the death of a parent or sibling, the death of a friend or colleague. We groan. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. We groan as we or a loved one receives chemo. We groan as we or a loved one receives dialysis. We groan as we or a loved one receives radiation. We groan as we or a loved one receives a transfusion. We groan, oh, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We groan as we or a loved one struggles with MS, MD, RA, CP, IBS, COPD, Crohn's, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, diabetes, lymphoma, fibromyalgia, macular degeneration, migraines, insomnia, arthritis, uh, pericardial effusions, pulmonary embolisms, mitral valve regurgitation, arterial blockages, AFib, angina. I could go on and on and on and on and on, couldn't I? How long did you got this morning? I don't think enough. Right? We groan. We groan as we or a loved one struggles with deep depression or extreme anxiety, paranoia, schizophrenia, obsessive compulsiveness, or bipolar disorder. We groan as we or a loved one struggles with addictions. We groan as we or a loved one deals with conflict, conflict at school or at home or at church or at work. We groan as we witness, maybe on the TV, maybe on our phones, maybe in person, as we witness cruelty and abuse, anger and conflict, rage and violence. We groan as we deal with a divorce, a breakup, a separation, a falling out. We groan as we deal with unemployment, underemployment, job loss, employment uncertainty. We groan as we feel rejected, excluded, isolated, 
forgotten for these and so many reasons more. We groan. And we groan because life on planet Earth after the fall is just not what it's supposed to be. And it's frustrating and it's difficult and it's unpleasant and it's painful. So that's the why of groaning. We groan because in our lives we experience this fallout from the fall. We groan because of the suffering we experience. We groan because of the pain we endure. But now the how. So how should we groan as believers? How should we go about this business of theological groaning, if you will? How should we endure such suffering? Well, let me start out the how with a little excursus here. I want to distinguish between groaning and griping. Maybe some of you have had this question in your minds. Is groaning okay? Is, is it, are we allowed to do it? Uh, what's the difference between that and griping? So I want to make this distinction between groaning and griping because I think there's a huge difference between the two. Huge difference between the two as we experience suffering and as we respond to suffering. Well, there's just a big difference as we endure the fallout from the fall. So gripe is this. Let me define gripe as, as, as a dissatisfaction. It's a dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction with God. Dissatisfaction with others. Dissatisfaction with the world. Dissatisfaction with our lives. A gripe is a, a declaration of dissatisfaction with our circumstances and with our situation. And the reason, the reason there is this dissatisfaction is because we are worthy of more. There's dissatisfaction because we deserve better. That's a gripe. A groan, though, is something else. A groan is something else. A groan is a lament. A lament over what should be so good is now so bad. A lament over what should be so right is now so wrong. It's a lament over what should bring so much happiness but now only brings sadness or a lot of sadness. A groan is a lament over the fact that this world is not as it should be. It's not as God created it to be. So as such then, my opinion, well, and I think definitely as we look at the psalmist in Psalm 13, uh, what um, Bemi read earlier, a groan is okay. A groan is okay. Acknowledging, lamenting, acknowledging the pain, lamenting the fallout from the fall. That's okay. But a gripe is not with a, with a groan, again, we lament the fallout from the fall. With a gripe, we declare that we, because of who we are, deserve better, despite the fall. Okay, that's just a little bit on the difference between gripes and groans. Let's look back now at Romans 8 from the how of groaning. As we look at Romans 8, this particular section one word stands out. One word stands out. And it's a word that's repeated six times in this section. And that word is hope. Hope. Here's how it appears in verse 25. 
Paul says this, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let me read that again. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So how do we groan? Well, as verse 25 suggests, we do so with patience and a patient hope. We groan with a patient, confident expectation that God, that whatever God has promised us, he will in fact deliver for us. If God promises us that this world of suffering that we deal with is not all there is, and that there is a better world to come, if God promises that our bodies, which are now subject to deterioration, decay, will someday be fully restored, if God promises that the whole of creation as we know it will someday be transformed into the new heavens and the new earth, well then, in this, we hope, and we hope for it, Patiently. As God's people, we continue to groan. No question about it. That doesn't stop us from groaning, this hope. But we do so with this patient hope, trusting that someday, somehow, God will make good on his promises, these promises that he has given to us through Jesus Christ. But of course, that's not easy, is it? Sounds easy, but it's not easy. The pain we experience is so right here, right now. The hurt we experience is so right here, right now. The grief we experience is so right here and right now that it's not easy to wait for something that is not right here and right now. But wait, we often must. Not all the time. Not all the time. But often And we wait then with patient hope that whatever we're experiencing now will not always be. That someday, in the blink of an eye, our present reality will be transformed into an eternal reality. One which is a far better reality because it's a perfect reality. Thankfully, as God's people, we're not on our own as we try to patiently hope in God's promises. We have each other for encouragement, for example. That's a big part of our home groups, I think. Encouraging another as we groan about life on planet Earth. But we also have God himself in his spirit, in us and among us. I read now from verse 26. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I guess that's the third groaner, if you will, the spirit. And Some of you know what Paul's talking about here when he talks about not knowing how to express our prayers or our concerns. Uh, Maybe one of you or someone you love has been in just a really bad situation and you simply don't know what to pray for in that bad situation. For example, you have a loved one who is in the, say, the awful last stages of a terminal disease. Do you at that point pray for the Lord to somehow heal them or keep them alive or for the Lord to take them. As you groan by their bedside, lamenting their suffering, what do you ask for? Sometimes it's hard to know. More time here or more time there for them? Life here or life there? It can almost lead a person to be unable to pray because you just don't know what to pray for in those situations because they're so awful. 
Here, according to the Apostle Paul, is where we get some help. Whether because of grief or desperation, ignorance or doubt even, if we don't know what, to be, what we should be praying for, God the Spirit himself will intercede for us before God the Father, groaning on our behalf. These groans of God the Spirit before the God the Father will be groans that, that will somehow give voice to the prayers we wish we could pray or should be praying, but we don't have the wherewithal to utter them. And so for this reason, we can be assured that even if we don't know how to say it, God the Spirit does, and our prayers will get, get to our Heavenly Father. Let me end with this. I'm going to guess that most of us have heard Jesus' beatitude uh, about those who mourn, right? That's a kind of a similar topic. Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? So I'd like to introduce my own little beatitude. I can guarantee you it's not half as profound. Um, it's not about mourners, but it's about groaners. It goes something like this. Again, brace yourselves, not going to be profound. Uh, and you're all saying, well, we've come to expect that from you, Pastor Mark, so no worries. Right? Uh, blessed are those who groan, for someday they'll have nothing to groan about. Right? Blessed are those who groan, for someday, and I'll even strengthen that, someday they will have absolutely nothing to groan about. And that's really our hope, isn't it? And it's the whole of creation's hope, too. That someday, somehow, through the power of God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this world and our lives will once again be restored to what they should be, what they were created to be, to what they're supposed to be. Our hope is that someday, somehow, through the power of God Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this world and our lives will once again reflect the, the perfection of our Creator and the perfection of His creation. I don't have this in my sermon, but I just want to make a, a, a note here. Until then, we patiently hope, but we also get busy, right? And we, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we take part in the restoration already. We do what we can to restore creation, to restore people's lives, to restore what was there, the, the shalom that was there in creation. But we also wait as we're busy helping restore. We wait for that day in which Christ will come again and complete and restoration will be complete. And what a day that will be. It will be a day, as Paul says in verse 18. He starts out his section on groaning with these words. And I think they actually make a great closing statement as well. He says in verse 18 that this day in the future, when Christ comes again and the adoption is complete, this will make our present sufferings seem small in comparison. He says this, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe, especially for those of us who are really suffering right now. Given what many of us are experiencing now, it's hard to believe that our present sufferings will someday seem small in comparison to the glory that awaits us. But this is the promise. This is the promise given to us by God himself. And it's a promise that we can all hope in 
and live by as we await its fulfillment. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in our groaning, as in our acknowledging that this world is not as it should be and it's not as you created it to be, Lord, give us hope in our groaning. Give us hope of the, of the resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. Give us hope of the restoration of this world through Jesus Christ. Father, give us hope that someday, someday we will experience this world as you created it uh, to be. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go into the world this week with a holy groaning about all that has been damaged, destroyed, ruined, wrecked, and lost. But go as well, hoping in Christ, who upon his return will renew all, restore all, and reconcile all to himself. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and remain with you always. Amen.